Coming up on NSN Daily, the first Nevada player into the portal has found a landing spot all the way in the Deep South. The details on center Will Baker's departure. And we're just about a week away from the Battleborn Showdown at Mackey Stadium. Our series of interviews with Wolfpack football players continues as we chat with long snapper Austin Ortega. Plus, Shannon Kelly visits with former Wolfpack star turned co-defensive coordinator Mike Bethay. That and more right now on NSN Daily. The sun is out overlooking campus and the Sierra. Happy Friday to you as we welcome you into NSN Daily. Alongside Chris Murray, I'm Alex Margulies from our Champion Chevrolet studio. And Chris, the top of the show, Will Baker is heading to the bayou. Yeah, going to LSU. So it's an interesting landing spot. I mean, I feel like he's really challenging himself because you saw when he was here at Nevada, sometimes that length and athleticism on the opposite side in the front court could give him some struggles. He's certainly going to face that in the SEC, but it does hit the film uh, major requirement that we had talked a lot about. He wants to learn, uh, you know, about film and TV, and uh, LSU has a very good program there, and a lot closer to home in Austin, about 400 miles away. So uh, began his career in the Big Ten at Texas a couple years at Nevada, and now over to LSU and the SEC. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where he kind of fits in. This is a team that does have a lot of big bodies. They've got four guys that are listed six foot ten or bigger, so maybe that allows Baker to work on the perimeter a little bit more, and he doesn't quite have to be that big. Uh, you know, seven foot only presence like he did uh, for the Wolfpack. So it'll be interesting to see how things go for him. Uh, down in SEC country, uh, Baker did announce a statement uh, through Joe Tipton of On Three Sports saying, quote, as I've looked for a place to invest my grad year playing for a school, I wanted a team that fit my style and goals. Coach McMahon and the system he has in place seems like a perfect match. Coach and his staff believe in me and the strengths I can bring to that plan. End quotes. He continues, now I respect the culture that Coach is building and the intentionality behind the pieces he is bringing in, not only character-wise, but also guys that can really bring a lot of value and impact the game. In addition to being good fits for the program, after I was able to visit campus and meet some guys that I know I want to do, win as much as I do, I just realized how great of an opportunity this was before me, and it felt like this is exactly where I needed to be. Now, this is an LSU team. I know it's a big name. They didn't have a great season last year. It's actually one of the worst teams in the SEC, but again, Big, talented program, and you can't blame Will Baker. I mean, this is a great opportunity to go play uh, in one of the premier kind of destinations. Yeah, under Coach McMahon, it was his first year, but 2-16. and 16, They actually beat Arkansas in their SEC season opener from there, 1-16 in conference play. So they did really struggle. He gets to get in on the ground floor, and we'll see if they can jump up. It doesn't take a ton out of the SEC to get into the NCAA tournament. Arkansas this last year was just 8-10 and 10 in conference play. They were able to get into the Sweet 16. So, um, yeah, I, I, like I said, I think he's really challenging himself, and it will be interesting to see maybe if he does play a little bit more on the perimeter. I think if he's going to make it at the next level as an NBA player, he's going to have to really become a dead-eye three-point shooter in addition to that size because just in terms of the athleticism, might not be there from an NBA perspective, but if he can knock down a ton of threes and then add that size down low on occasion playing center at the next level, maybe he does have a shot. So gave Nevada two really, really strong years. He was an all-conference player this last season, a big part 
of Nevada's rebound this year, getting to the NCAA tournament. And, and by all accounts, a very good kid and uh, probably has to sting for Nevada. They develop Warren Washington, they lose mm -hmm. him, they develop Will Baker, and then they lose him. So next in that pipeline, probably K.J. Himes, if he can stay healthy. I think he's got a lot of talent and, and just projecting is Nevada's starting center next year unless they add another center via the transfer portal. Yeah, so you got Himes and then uh, Michael Fullerin, who was injured this year. He's also 6'11", so Nevada does have uh, some size coming back. Uh, meanwhile, the Wolfpack starting to dial in on uh, some of their top candidates when it comes to filling these open scholarships. They've got a pair of players set to visit campus this weekend. Uh, Chris, let's start first. Keyshawn Kelman, a big man and a huge contributor off the bench for a Princeton team. One of the Cinderella stories at the NCAA tournament this year. They got all the way to the Sweet 16 after upsets over two Arizona, number seven Missouri. Eventually lost uh, to Creighton. Uh, now this is not a seven-foot kind of replacement, but this is somebody that can really bring a lot in the power forward spot. Yeah, I would call him like a meat and potatoes power forward. Six foot nine, 240 pounds. He played at Princeton for four years. Only played a handful of games the first three years. One of those, the COVID year, the Ivy League didn't play, but really blossomed as a starter this season. Averaged eight points, four and a half rebounds per game. Made 61 percent of his shots, all from two-point range. He didn't take any three-pointers, so you're not necessarily getting him in that. But he did do a very good job of being efficient around the rim second in the Ivy League in field goal percentage had a couple of 20 point games to start off his season so uh, I think a guy who would probably come off the bench for Nevada but could give you a solid 15 to 20 minutes some good defense and be able to finish around the rim also in town this weekend high school prospect Tyler Rollison uh, he's a three-star recruit six-foot flat guard from Playa del Rey California and he's part of a Compton Magic AAU team that produced the likes of Jared Lucas this guy that's really considered to be that kind of true first pass uh, or a pass first excuse me point yeah. guard he was very highly recruited until an injury uh, a lot of big name schools after him uh, maybe some have cooled off and a good opportunity here for Nevada could kind of provide a different type of presence at that spot than what they've got now. Yeah, a little bit more speed, a little bit more change of pace. Uh, Nevada certainly had that in Trey Pettigrew last year, and with him leaving, it kind of opens up a developmental guard spot. You do have Keenan Blackshear coming back, Hunter McIntosh. They're going to lock down your starting point guard minutes, but this is somebody who can develop and kind of push the tempo. Nevada did not play super fast last year, and despite being a pass for a point guard, he did have a 44-point game in the playoffs, playing Dang. in one of the best leagues in Southern California. Also added 10 assists in that game, so he can definitely go and score. And like you said, he was a super high recruit maybe sophomore junior season he did have an injury leading into a summer AAU season so maybe the recruitment kind of fell a little bit but this could be kind of a diamond in the rough who slipped through the first signing period and maybe Nevada can go and get him we've talked a lot about adding transfers but a high school kid maybe for the future and Tyler Rollison and we'll see if Nevada can lock down a commitment from him after his visit this weekend all right so a lot to continue to discuss when it comes to pack basketball uh, let's switch gears now and talk about what's on tap this weekend uh, pack baseball and softball uh, back in town. Let's start with uh, baseball. They'll play Air Force starting tonight at 635. Yeah, they've got to get a series win. I mean, they're really kind of putting their feet to the fire in terms of making it to the Mountain West Tournament. The top four of seven teams do get to that conference tournament, and they've yet to win a Mountain West series. It's just a little bit inconsistent. The pitching hasn't been great in conference play. It was much better in non-conference, and then the hitting's kind of been up and down. So I think it is in this team. The Mountain West is not a super strong conference in baseball this season to go on a little bit of a run, but they just have not been able to string wins together and only two wins in their last 10 games. All right, so, uh, so the first of three games tonight, you can watch that right here on Nevada Sportsnet. John Ramey and Zach Bash on the call. Then we've got uh, some Saturday and Sunday uh, softball action. The Wolfpack will take on San Diego State. It's a big matchup there. San Diego State number two right now in the Mountain West. The Wolfpack number three. Uh, Mike Stephenson, Nikki Pika on those games uh, Saturday and Sunday. Also Aces 
uh, will take over your television Saturday. So lots of live game action right here on Nevada Sports Nets. Uh, Chris, let's go to the pool. A couple big honors for the Wolfpack diving team. Sophomore Lucia Gabino, head coach Jen Lee Yu, named Mountain West Diver and Coach of the Year, respectively. We'll start off with Gabino, who took home the top spot in the one meter, three meter, and 12th in the platform at the Mountain West Championship last month. And of course, uh, her coach, Jun Lee, uh, what can you say about her? I mean, you're talking 11 <laughs> times now that she's been named the Conference Coach of the Year. Yeah, eight times just in the Mountain West. She won the first six years Nevada was in the Mountain West. She won Diving Coach of the Year. I think they got tired of giving it to her, but now she has won the last two. So here's a good fact for you. She has won eight Mountain West Coach of the Year championships. All of Nevada's other coaches combined have been named Mountain West Coach of the Year just seven times. Wow. So she has more uh, Mountain West Coach of the Year honors than the rest of the campus uh, during the move to the Mountain West. So certainly she could win this award year in and year out, but not only Lucia Gabino, she also sent two different swimmers to NCAA championships mm. this year. One of them earned All-American honors. So she does it year in and year out and, and very deserving. And of course she was the uh, diving coach for Team USA in this past Olympic Games. All right, coming up next on NSN Daily, we'll take you out to Wolfpack Park as Shannon Kelly and Chris will visit with Wolfpack long snapper Austin Ortega. That's when we come back. Welcome back into NSN Daily. Chris Marie, Shannon Kelly. Wolfpack football continues spring ball as the last week or so, Chris, is happening over at Wolfpack Park. The spring game about a week or so away. We'll head out now to Wolfpack Park as we're joined with Austin Ortega, six-year long snapper. Austin, you've been through spring ball quite a bit now. Just how are things going these last few weeks? Yeah, uh, that's a good point. I have been here a while. Uh, <laughs> It's crazy to think about that. Uh, things are looking up, you know. I think we got a good squad this year. Practices are going great. Um, I know the specialist room is under control from our point of view, so things are looking good. So you're originally from San Antonio. You had some uh, opportunities to potentially play for Texas State, Baylor, TCU, Houston, Incarnate Word. All of those teams are in the state of Texas. So how did you find yourself getting out to Nevada half a decade ago? Yeah, so... Uh, the recruiting process for long staffers is definitely a hard journey as long as as well as other specialists um, you know I did take visits on those schools obviously loved them Texas A&M was always my dream school never really got anything from them but uh, Nevada was really the only school that gave me a true opportunity to come out and play um, at my position so that's why I took it I fell in love with Reno and you know these are the, these have been the best or five years of my life you know Speaking of Texas A&M, your brother Justin played there. You mentioned to us he was a long snapper as well. I guess is that how you uh, got into long snapping? Yeah, I guess you can kind of say it runs in the blood. Um, you know, my parents were uh, – my dad never really played any sports, and my mom was a volleyball, uh, basketball player in high school. Uh, but my brother really was the one that started the journey for long snapping um, throughout high school, so we're eight years apart. So throughout high school, I'd always just grow up, going to his games, watching him play long snapper. And it's just kind of a thing that his coach was still at my high school whenever I showed up, and he asked me if I could long snap. And so that's basically how it started. Um, but, yeah, basically I just grew up watching him, learned from him. And so there's been a lot of late nights with my dad learning how to long snap in our front yard. And so ultimately that's got me where I am today. 
It's obviously one of those positions where if you're anonymous, that's a good thing because they're not paying attention because your snaps are always on target. But I guess for you, what are the biggest keys to being a good long snapper and kind of remaining anonymous because you're doing a good job? Yeah, that's always the goal, Chris. Um, I always try to come out and do my job as best as I can so no one knows my name at the end of the day. Uh, really, I would say the biggest, biggest key to long snapping is being consistent. Um, you always have to put the ball the right spot for the punter and the holder this is always people like to think it's an easy position but it's really not trying to be consistent all the time like you said a once you mess up everyone knows your name it's kind of like a quarterback whenever he throws an interception he's gets to go back out next drive and make up for it but for a long snapper you really only have one opportunity every so about eight snaps a game so you got to make the most of it so you came to Nevada in 2018. You redshirted that season. Wes Farnsworth was the snapper on the Wolfpack football team that year. What did you learn from him during that lone season before you took over the reins the following year? Yeah, Wes was always a great uh, role model to me. Um, that whole group was, along with Q and Spencer Pettit, Ramiz, Wes, they all took me under their wing. But, uh, yeah, I still keep in touch with Wes. He always... Whenever I post stuff on social media, he always slides up and comments on my stuff. He always tells me good snaps and stuff at the games um, whenever he comes and watches. So it's always good to keep in touch with him. But really, he showed me the ropes about how college long snapping is a little bit different from high school. It's a lot more, a lot more duty, I guess you could say. Um, you have a lot more responsibilities. You have different keys to look for throughout the game and stuff. So really being able to learn from a great long snapper like that really helped me. You're obviously one of the elder statesmen in that special teams room, along with Brandon Talton, the Wolfpack star kicker. Just uh, tell us a little bit about your relationship with Brandon and what you guys have been through together as this program has kind of been through some ups and downs over the last few years. Yeah, me and Brandon, man, we've been together for five years now. That's probably my best friend on the team, I would say. We've been through a lot of ups and downs, stuff like that. We're uh, travel roommates, so I get to see a lot of him on travel trips. Um, but he's a great guy. I love being with Brandon. I love being with all the other specialists. We're really a, a tight-knit group. And it's good to have that whenever you have coaching changes and stuff like that. You can keep the specialist together and be able to keep a tight-knit group and just be able to communicate with each other and work together as a team. That really is what makes the specialist room good. You mentioned the coaching changes. You've now been through four special teams coaches as Michael Barton was just hired uh, last month. But, you know, when you came to Nevada, you had Tommy Perry, then Thomas Sheffield, Joe Bolden. Uh, what have you learned from each of those, you know, three coaches now as you go into this last year with a new position coach? Yeah, all those coaches have been extremely great to me. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely tough whenever you lose a coach, you build that bond. And, but that's the excitement about college football. A new coach comes in, you get to create another bond, you get to create another connection. So I'm really looking forward to working with Coach Barton and just getting better each and every single day and going out and doing our jobs as specialists. Uh, looking at your bio here, and you says your uh, most memorable moment pre-college was being the leading receiver for your high school team your junior season. So you weren't always just the specialist. You got that athleticism out there as well, right? You, you can do more than long snap if they need you to go run a route on a trick play or something. Yeah, um, yeah, they kind of messed up that uh, that bio when I first got here. Um, it's not, it's kind of correct, but it's not completely correct. Uh, so, yeah, I did play a little bit of slot receiver in high school, nothing too crazy. Um, but I'll have to send you a picture. There's a, 
there's a picture of me playing Trevor Price in high school seven on seven. It's me running a route on Trevor. He's uh, covering me. So I'll have to send it in that photo. Y'all can maybe pull that up or something. But, um, yeah, my junior season, our very first game, we were going through a bunch of different quarterback changes. So we were a run-heavy offense. And the very first game my junior year, uh, they put me in a slot. I was extremely surprised. I'd always just do it for fun, just get out of long snap because we really didn't do anything in high school uh, for special teams. But, yeah, they threw me out there, and I caught one ball for, I think it was like three or four yards. And we had a total of seven yards that game, uh, passing-wise. So I was the leading receiver for that game on our team. So, yeah. <laughs> well, also in your bio, it said you're majoring in journalism and you'd like to become a sports broadcaster after college. Is that still uh, your career path and your major, or have you switched majors over the course of the years you've been at Nevada? Yeah, so I actually graduated with my uh, – with my bachelor's in journalism last May. So currently I'm working on my master's degree in journalism. Uh, shout out Mr. Chris Murray over there, <laughs> Reynolds School grad. Um, but, yeah, that's definitely something I want to do. Not so much sports broadcasting, but I want to get into sports social media and sports marketing through that area. And I think that's a way for me to stay into sports if going to the next level doesn't completely work out i definitely want to do something in sports let's give a shout out to shannon kelly as well she's got her degree uh and then got a master's uh, on top of that you got a better master's than we got though i got a master's in journalism your master's in like uh administrative like, yeah. college administration higher, higher education yeah. with enough and yeah. emphasis in athletic administration when it's all said and done we'll have three majors yeah. on this uh little segment all right from here. nevada so, yeah a lot we, we're gonna have six yeah. degrees among the yeah, three that's, of us. that's crazy you know just <laughs> nevada connections out here it's crazy <laughs> Uh, what do you want out of your last year here at Nevada? As we mentioned, you've been through the highs of almost winning a Mountain West championship uh, in 2020-2021. Obviously, last year was a rebuild, uh, you know, going 2-10. and 10. I guess when you're sitting there in December, what do you want to say that you guys were able to accomplish this season? I mean, obviously, the, the goal is always a Mountain West championship. Um, that's something that I haven't been able to achieve since I've been here. And that's always been a dream since I've gotten here. You know, every school wants to hold up a trophy at the end of the day. And I think that's the ultimate goal. We want to put this Nevada football team in the record books as one of the best Nevada football teams to come out here and play ball at Mackey Stadium. You know, this is something that we all look forward to season. You know, spring ball is flying through fast. I think we only got four or five more practices left. Um, I think we're all just ready to strap on the pads and go play another team. Um, but, yeah, I would say that's the ultimate goal is to win a Mountain West championship and engrave our names in the record books. And that team in 2020 came very close, obviously, that you were on. So uh, one more shot at it this year. And as you said, the season opener against USC, that'll be here before we know it, Labor Day weekend. Austin Ortega, thanks for joining us out at Wolfpack Park. Thank you guys so much for having me. It was a pleasure. We'll have much more of NSN Daily right after this short break. Welcome back to NSN Daily from inside our Champion Chevrolet studio. I'm Alex Margulies. Let's send it down now to the lounge as Mike Stephenson joins the show, talking hoops and more with VSIN's Femi Abebefe. Yes, it is time to get your money, folks. It is a Femi Friday as we welcome back Femi Abebefe, VSIN host and analyst, hanging out with us from home today down in southern Nevada. Happy Friday to you, Femi. How's things? 
Happy Friday to you guys as well. It's going to be a, a fun Friday. We got a fun weekend of sports ahead. Coming off of the Masters, spring has sprung down here in Southern Nevada. The weather's gotten a lot better over the last 10 days or so. And we get a bunch of NBA playoffs and the NHL playoffs coming next week. It's going to be a lot of fun out here uh, in Sin City. Everybody up here in northern Nevada is like, yeah, you haven't had to deal with snow like we have, so quit complaining <laughs> about the weather. I did mean to congratulate you, though. I know you were sweating that John Rahm ticket last week, yes, and boy, sir. he came through for you. He did, man. He did. Uh, I was a little bit worried because the conditions, he kind of got the bad end of the draw there with all the conditions he was playing through the, the rain. I mean, one of the greens before they uh, suspended the second round, it looked like there was standing water Ugh. on the green. But uh, how about John Rahm on Sunday? He regained the putter in that final round. Also helped that Brooks Kepka lost his putter in the final round. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. John Rahm now uh, wearing a green jacket. So uh, it was nice to catch that ticket Sunday evening. Femi with a little more green coming his way as well. All right, let's uh, let's hey, look forward know. now to uh, Friday night's play-in action. How about the games Wednesday? We saw the 10 seeds win in the play-in for the first time ever. Chicago, Oklahoma City getting it done. I think they're proving why uh, they did this play-in tournament to begin with. The playing games were awesome. I thought all four of them, even going back to Miami and Atlanta, and then, of course, the Lakers and the T-Wolves um, from Tuesday night, like, or from Monday night it might have been. I think Tuesday, actually, yeah. but, uh, I, but I digress. <laughs> but the playing games have been really fun. And it's been super competitive, and it's been fun to bet on. You know, I was betting. I bet the T Wolves plus eight and a half against the Lakers. I thought it was going to be a no sweat winner all throughout that game until it went to overtime. But they were able to get it home for me there. But uh, yeah, I mean, last night's games, or sorry, on uh, Wednesday night's games. I mean, those were some really good games there with Oklahoma City. Kind of a coming of age performance for Shea Gilgis Alexander, Josh Giddy, Lou Dort, and that crew. And then, of course, I mean, you got to tip your cap to what uh, the Chicago Bulls did and tip your cap to DeMar DeRozan's daughter with the free throw I defense. I know, right? <laughs> I mean, that's, I've never seen it before, but she caused the, the Raptors to miss half their free throws, and that ended up swinging the game. Unbelievable. And the fellow Seattle native like with yourself, uh, Zach Levine, going off as well. So let's talk about these games sure. coming up Friday night. As Levine and the Bulls head to Miami, this uh, Miami team trying not to lose back-to-back -back home games in the play and five-and-a-half-point favorites. How do you see that one? So you do have to factor it in that DeRozan's daughter will not be down in South Beach. <laughs> he said after the game that she has to go back to school. She begged to miss school to go to the game in Toronto. The DeRozan's obviously spent a lot of time in Toronto with him being a longtime Raptor. Uh, but all kidding aside, though, I think this is a spot where Miami's got to get right. I know Chicago, they do have those two guys with Levine and DeRozan who on any given night can go for 30 apiece. In a one-game scenario, that's always key to have. But I think Jimmy Butler, he's going to bounce back. Uh, playoff Jimmy wasn't quite playoff Jimmy against the Atlanta Hawks. I think Spolstra is too good of a head coach. They'll have a really good game plan dialed in. Plus, they get the rest. They've been at home over the course of the week, and now they can get ready for the Chicago Bulls team. So I like Miami and those guys to bounce back. Butler, Hero, Adebayo, maybe he's a little bit banged up. He hasn't looked like himself, but if he can get back to that kind of defensive player of the year caliber player that he is, I think Miami, with their experience being in this spot, and ultimately, I just can't see the playoffs without them. I mean, this team was the one seed last year and was a Jimmy Butler missed three-pointer from going to the NBA Finals. For them to turn around and, and just miss the playoffs entirely, I find that hard to believe. So uh, if I had to play it, it's not an official bet for me, but if I had to play it, I'd lay five and a half with the Heat. All right, and the number is also five and a half in Minnesota where the T-Wolves return home after nearly stealing one in L.A. Uh, Minnesota welcoming Oklahoma City. I guess the T-Wolves will get Rudy Gobert back. Some would argue that might not be such a good thing considering how well they played early on in L.A. How do you see this one with the T-Wolves minus five and a half? 
Well, I'm glad you brought up Gobert because that's the question mark because we all thought, all right, he's going to serve the suspension and then we'll play again. But when speaking with the media earlier uh, on Wednesday, I mean, he talked about how, hey, I'm not, I might not have played even if I was, if, if I wasn't suspended against the Lakers that I, I have this back spasm issue that's kind of tripping me up here. And now Gobert is questionable later tonight in this game. So I think Rudy Gobert will play, but that's something to kind of watch out for. But honestly, I would just take the, the dog here. I, I like Oklahoma city. This is a tough team and they don't really have a true big guy. Dario Saric has kind of been their big guy, but it's like a pseudo center situation yeah. there. But with Shea Gilgis-Alexander will be the best player on the floor, in my opinion, in this game. And then you have Giddy, and then you have Jalen Williams. Well, the Jalen Williams that went to Santa Clara, they got to clarify that because they have two Jalen Williams <laughs> on the do. Oklahoma City Thunder. But the Jalen Williams that went to Santa Clara has been a really good rookie for them. He's probably going to finish second behind Paulo Bancaro in the, the rookie of the year uh, vote coming up here later this week. But uh, I think this Thunder team, they're young, and it's almost like that ignorance is bliss, that youthful naivete could carry them to making this a close game. Timberwolves, I think, sneak out a very close victory. But if you had to bet it, I would take that five and a half with OKC because, hey, there's no pressure on this team. Nobody expects them to get to the playoffs versus Minnesota, dating all the way back to the Rudy Gobert trade. The expectations that they take that next step after going to the playoffs a year ago. Okay, so if you're keeping track at home, lay the five and a half with Miami. Take the five and a half with OKC. Those are Friday night's playing games. Let's rally through some series prices. Of course, Denver and Milwaukee awaiting their opponents mm -hmm. based on these uh, play-in results. A couple of them I think are pretty quick and obvious. Let's uh, rally through those. The 76ers minus 980 with Brooklyn plus 685. You going to take a flyer on the Nets? Uh, I would not take a flyer on the Nets, and and it's it's it doesn't sound sexy because we all like to get those big plus prices and stuff when we're betting. But the NBA playoffs are typically pretty straightforward. Now the Western Conference it might not be, but the Eastern Conference I think is going to be pretty straightforward. We have three teams that are at the head of the class there with Milwaukee, Boston, and Philadelphia. The Sixers in this case minus 980. I wouldn't want to lay that because an injury can always happen. I would kind of look to play a gentleman's sweep if you can find a series correct score. I'm seeing the Sixers right now to win 4-1 plus 210 if you're so inclined to play this series and want to get something down that's probably the angle that i would look at that is a pretty savvy move there of course you do this for a living boston minus 1610 <laughs> i don't even think we need to really get into that series you said it celtics uh looking strong with the hawks at plus 1000 intriguing around these parts is that golden state sacramento series it's six for mm. the defending champ warriors and the kings are the three but we're seeing the dubs coming in as a minus 270 favorite to win that series. It's crazy because you look at that price and it almost looks like it's like, all right, that's wild that a team that doesn't have the home court advantage and also was atrocious on the road throughout the regular season. And now they are minus 270. But I kind of thought to myself, I mean, I don't see Sacramento beating them. So I think the price is a little short. Now, I wouldn't really want to play minus 270 because I think the Warriors could give away some games on the road in Sacramento. I mean, just think about what the crowd is going to be like Sunday afternoon uh, or rather, sorry, Saturday night when they when the Kings get that first playoff game. It's quite some time. That's going to be a raucous environment. But I think Golden State wins just because in a series, I always kind of favor the best player. And we're talking about a player in Steph Curry who's going to go down as one of the all-time greats. Going up against De'Aaron Fox and Mana Sabonis, no disrespect to those guys, but they've never been there. They've never done that. This Warriors team has pedigree. But with all that said, 
the way I would play the series is for maybe to go over five and a half games. I can see this being a lengthy series. I'm saying minus 165 right now, over five and a half games. I could see Warriors in six. Maybe the Warriors even get a scare and win in seven, but I just don't see Sacramento getting to those four victories in seven games against Golden State. So uh, although I like the Warriors to win this series, I would play over five and a half games. I think it'll go six or seven games. I like that. Look, get a little better juice. Uh, and you'd use that buzzword pedigree. We like to use that word championship there we go. pedigree for the dubs. <laughs> okay, uh, let's just get one more series future. Memphis, L.A. So the Lakers are the seven. The Grizzlies are the two. We're seeing Memphis as a tight favorite minus 135 is what I have. You know what? And if you're Memphis, don't you kind of have to feel a little disrespected? Uh, just because this is the team that's back-to-back -back years. They're going to be the number two seed in the Western Conference. Uh, but they're going up against another team that has pedigree, the word that we like to use here. LeBron James, how many <laughs> playoff runs has he been on? Anthony Davis is a champion. We remember his performances in the bubble. And also Memphis has kind of been reeling a little bit, and those injuries might start to catch up with them. I know they're missing Steven Adams, who has really helped on their defensive end of it. Jaron Jackson Jr. is probably going to be the defensive player of the year. But when they have Steven Adams in the lineup right next to them, they play even better on that end of the floor there. And then no Brandon Clark as well, the, the former Gonzaga guy, who we used to cover way back in our days right. uh, in Spokane. He was that energy guy off the bench for Memphis. So they're a little bit uh, depleted on that front court, now having to deal with Anthony Davis. And we know that Jaron Jackson Jr. gets into foul trouble. That's going to be the key thing. The Lakers are one of the best teams at getting to the free throw line, and Jaron Jackson Jr., also gets into foul trouble quite a bit. I mean, this guy's only playing about 30 minutes a night or so, and that's not because he's not a great player. He's a fantastic player, but he just can't stay on the floor. Those things working in concert might swing this towards the Lakers. Now, I would suggest here waiting until after game one because I think Memphis is going to win game one. They're the much rested team, and they're the younger team. And also LeBron James, if you look back at his history, he uses game ones as kind of a way to assess the situation, figure out how he's going to be defended, figure out what the other team is doing. So I would think that Memphis wins game one. And at that point, and my plan is then back the Lakers to win the series after game one to get a better price because you're only getting about plus 115, plus 120 on L.A. to win the series. I want something more in the range in the plus 180s, maybe even plus 200 if you can find that after game one. But if Memphis wins game one, I think it's go ahead and bet the Lakers to win the series after that. That's a good point. LeBron's game ones are always questionable in terms of how the Lakers are going to yeah. play or how his team is going to play. He's just dipping the toe in the water. He doesn't go full <laughs> splash until game two. You said it. <laughs> Let's splash into some NBA, uh, NFL draft coverage, and we'll rally through some of this. We talked last week about uh, who's going to be at the top, how many quarterbacks we'll see in the first round. You're still pretty confident in Bryce Young, I'm guessing. Yeah, I'm still really confident in Bryce Young as we've continued to see more and more of the market moving in his direction. I mean, right now I'm seeing minus 360 at a pretty notable sports book there. So, all the reports and all the whispers coming out of Carolina, it sounds like it's Bryce Young that's going to be the guy. And I think with that information, you can kind of start to attack some of the other markets. Now, it's not a 100% lock that it's Bryce Young. And I wouldn't say, hey, go out and bet minus 360 right now because that price really isn't going anywhere until we get something a little bit more concrete closer to the draft. Because even though we're two weeks away or less than two weeks away, that's still a lot of time in draft years and in draft time. So there's still a lot left to be desired. And the, the Panthers are going to be hosting C.J. Stroud upcoming next week. So maybe something changes there to where they get blown away by C.J. Stroud. But at least as of right now, we can work through the premise that Bryce Young is going to be the number one overall pick. And I think that's where the conversation at number two gets really interesting because Houston, to me, it almost feels like they're preparing their fan base to the fact that they're not going to take a quarterback. 
It's almost like they're getting out in front of the PR of saying, hey, we're not necessarily looking for our savior at pick number two. You're hearing reports from people who are well-connected with the Houston Texans saying they could go pass rusher. They're not really sold on other quarterbacks outside of Bryce Young. Almost as if they're saying, hey, if Bryce Young goes number one, our hands are tied, and we either want to trade out or we're going to take one of the pass rushers. And I think that opens up for some really interesting bets because I'm saying right now, Will Anderson's around 3-1 to one to go second overall. Tyree Wilson is at 7-1. to one. If you think they're going to go with an edge rusher, maybe one of those guys, if you think that they actually trade out of there, Maybe one of the quarterbacks becomes live. That's not C.J. Stroud, because right now Stroud is the overwhelming favorite to go number two at minus 200. If it ends up being somebody like Anthony Richardson or Will Levis, those guys are 20 to 1, 22 to 1. So you can kind of play with some things if you believe that Bryce Young is going to go number one and maybe take some long shots and try to fade C.J. Stroud in that market. Okay, any other uh, top five tips that you might have or maybe guys that might sneak in that aren't quarterbacks? Because it looks to be a very quarterback-heavy top 10 right now. It does look to be pretty heavy top 10 in the quarterbacks. Uh, we're expecting four of them to go in the top 10. So let's kind of go through like a pseudo mock draft here to see and, and, and go in a direction where we might be able to find some valuable bets. For hypotheticals, we'll say Bryce Young goes number one. Let's say that they go Tyree Wilson, number two, for the Houston Texans, and that 7-1 to ticket cashes. At number three, my guess is that you would have a team moving up and the Cardinals being able to move out of that selection to go ahead and take C.J. Stroud. So Stroud right now is 5-1. to one to be the number three overall pick. That's a pretty juicy price there if you want to look at C.J. Stroud. If he goes three, you have the Indianapolis Colts at four. Maybe they go Anthony Richardson. Maybe they go Will Levis, one of those guys. I think that's pretty clear. But at that point, you got to start thinking about maybe at pick five with the Seattle Seahawks, one of these guys like Will Anderson or Jalen Carter. And I think those are really talented players. I think Jalen Carter might be the best player in the draft, but he has the off-the-field stuff coming out of Georgia and obviously that tragic situation with the two members of the football program passing away earlier after that national title victory. But Carter, when you watch him play, I mean, he's an absolutely dominant player. And before all of that stuff came out, was thought of as the best defensive player in this draft. And I think Seattle could be a spot for him at that pick number five. But I think Will Anderson seems like he's a clean player uh, from uh, to use a draft term coming out of Alabama was really productive out of Alabama as coached by Nick Saban, who could vouch for him. I think those two guys are going to find their way into the top five, in my opinion there. But I think it could definitely get spicy if we get Bryce Young at one and then we get another player who's not a quarterback at number two there. That's when things get really spicy in this draft, which there's still a lot of uncertainty left to go with uh, less than two weeks away. Draft is almost always really intriguing, and we're happy to have Femi Abebefe helping us make sense of it all. We do have another week to talk draft, so we'll uh, save some storylines for next week. Femi, <laughs> thanks so much once again for the time. Time to cash some tickets now. Hey, appreciate it. Best of luck with the bets. All right, sounds good. All right, good chat with Femi. We're back right after this on NSN Daily. Back here on NSN Daily, the Wolfpack defense features a slew of new faces when they kick off in the Battleborn Showdown next Saturday at Mackey Stadium. And one of their leaders is a Wolfpack great of his own. Here's Shannon Kelly with Mike Bethay. There's less than two weeks of spring football left as the Wolfpack gears up for the second year of the Ken Wilson era. Coaching the inside linebackers again this season is co-defensive coordinator Mike Bethay. A former linebacker at Nevada himself, Wilson was Bethay's position coach in 2008 and 2009. 
Bethay began his coaching career as a defensive graduate assistant alongside Wilson at Nevada and at Washington State. Last season was his first year as a full-time FBS assistant, joining Vitawa and Virgil Green as Wolfpack alums on Wilson's coaching staff. The nice part is we understand the tradition and kind of what's expected of being a Wolfpack football player. And it just goes back to playing hard, you know, and that, that was the same thing, you know, 12, 15 years ago when I played here, it's the same message now. And, you know, we're just going to be tough and we're going to work hard. We're putting our head down and, and try to get better every single day. It's nice to have a coach that'll tell you, hey, hey, that's messed up. That's not a good fit or that's not a good defense right there in that situation. So we put our guys in the best situation. So he's always, he's always been great and always, you know, tried to help me out and progress as a coach and become the best, you know, coach that I can be. Bethay's position group went from one of the most inexperienced last year to most experienced this season. As the pack returns, inside linebackers Drew Watts and Naki Matialona. The two combined for more than 100 tackles and five sacks last year. One of the biggest adds this offseason was linebacker Jackson LaDuke. The Spanish Springs native spent three seasons at Oregon and transferred back home to Nevada in January. We've been able to kind of progress the install than what we were able to last year. So uh, it's good. You know, like I said, you know, our biggest thing is we still have some little errors that we got to clean up, you know, which is which is expected. But, um, you know, really trying to get the guys to have the sense of urgency to make sure that we fix those mistakes as quick as possible. And, you know, I, I don't demand perfection from them out there, right? The stuff's going to happen. It's football. But but what we can do is we can practice with great effort. So the Wolfpack has one more scrimmage this Saturday morning at Mackey Stadium ahead of their spring game, which is set for April 26th second at 1:30 in the afternoon at Mackey Stadium and that will be televised on Nevada Sportsnet at Wolfpack Park Shannon Kelly Nevada Sportsnet all right thanks again to Shannon for that uh, coming up on today's show we're going to switch gears talk a little hoops how about an all Northern California showdown of the NBA playoffs Chris it's the Kings and the Warriors on Saturday night All right, back here on NSN Daily. Chris, just two hours over the hill, a huge playoff series brewing. The Kings and the Warriors. The Kings back in the playoffs for the first time since 2006. <laughs> uh, we were running through some of the things that were going on in 2006. Oh. The iPhone hadn't even come out. Wow. At that point in time, uh, Twitter and Facebook barely didn't exist. Yeah. Uh, I was trying to remember some of the other ones, but it was pretty interesting. So I mean, they haven't even played a, a game on years. ABC since 2007. Wow. So you usually see a lot of regular season games on ABC. They've been that far off the map on the national radar. So it's going to be a really fun series. And it is interesting that the Warriors are so heavily favored. They're minus 305 to win the series, mm. despite being the sixth seed. You like the Kings, you can get plus 240. And the Kings' wow. offense has been phenomenal. Andrew Wiggins expected to come back for the Warriors for the first time since February. So uh, when the Warriors have been healthy, they're very difficult to beat. But I kind of do like the Kings in this series. Uh, the Warriors have been terrible on the road this yeah. year, just 11 and 30 away from home. I do think you'll see a pretty Warriors feel mm -hmm. for those games in Sacramento just because it is such a close drive. But this is uh, the series that I'm looking for in the first round most among the NBA series because I do think that the Kings are going to put a scare into the Warriors, and we'll see if they can take down the champs. I like the, the, the value thing is interesting. Like, whether I think the Kings will win the series or not, uh, I'm not really sure. But uh, if you're a better and you want to get a little juice, I mean, I think that, uh, that sounds pretty enticing. I mean, the Kings have been an offensive juggernaut this year, uh, really one of the most efficient offensive teams in two decades. And then, you know, but the Warriors, you have to think they can turn it on when it matters, right? And they've got arguably the best player in the yeah. world and Steph Curry when he is playing at his best. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that all shakes out. So when it comes to the Kings, how about head coach Mike Brown? He was named 
NBA Coach of the Year after leading this dramatic turnaround. Uh, this is France and again, longest droughts in the league of 16 years before getting back to the postseason. The Kings, 48 and 34, and as you mentioned, they're the three seed, not the other way around. Again, it goes back to when you're younger, you're a lot more cocky, you think you know and confident and all that, and that cockiness, I guess, is, is really naive, you know, and so you don't appreciate things, in my opinion, I'm not saying this for everybody, I know for me, but you don't appreciate things as much back then as you do now because you know you really, you've gone through the ringer, not just in the sport, but in life too, and so you know when moments like these come across, they're special, they're precious, and you really try to embrace them. So I, not that I didn't appreciate it back then, but I really appreciate something like this now, and I understand how big it is, not just for me and my family, but for, for, for the organization and the city. So I really embrace it and I, I really appreciate all the votes because it could have gone to a lot of other guys in my opinion. Yeah, so an impressive job by, by Mike Brown this year, Chris. I, I know it's one of those situations, Kings fans are happy to be in this position. I'm sure they're a little nervous that they have to play the Warriors uh, as the three seed. And I don't think it nullifies the season that it was if they don't advance here in the postseason, but this is where it matters, right? Like yeah, what you do sure. in the regular season. And so for, I think for me, for the Kings to feel validated, they got to go and they got to knock off the, the reigning champions. And I think that's kind of fitting that they would have to play the reigning champions. It's the most experienced playoff team in these playoffs against the least experienced. So we'll see how big of a factor that plays. Obviously, Coach Brown has a ton of experience. He brought the Cavs to the finals. He was on all those Warriors staffs. And we'll see if he can import, impart that experience onto his team. I think that's probably the reason the Warriors get by because it is a completely different mm -hmm. game in the playoffs and the Kings just don't have that experience yet and that experience will start to build starting this season. And we'll see if the Kings can make a name for themselves uh, in this postseason again. Saturday night, uh, game one and uh, definitely looking forward to this series. All right, coming up next, we're going to wrap up the show down in Las Vegas. The Golden Knights getting ready for a playoff run of their own. They've got the number one seed in the West. All right, wrapping up NSN Daily. And how about the Vegas Golden Knights, the number one seed in the Western Conference? That was after a victory over the Kraken on Thursday. It'll be Vegas against the Winnipeg Jets in the first round, Chris. So the Golden Knights have been in this position, one of the top teams going into the postseason. We'll see if they can get over the hump and get their first Stanley Cup this year. Yeah, two defensive-oriented teams when you look at Las Vegas and Winnipeg, so I don't think it's going to be a super high-scoring series. The Knights did pick up Jonathan Quick, who's won a couple of Stanley Cups uh, at the trade deadline. I'm not sure that he's necessarily going to start with them, but he'll certainly see some time in the playoffs, and the good thing for both these teams, they're on the other side of the bracket from the Boston Bruins, who set a record for wins in a season in NHL history, so Boston looks like the heavy favorite in the Eastern Conference, but you look at the West, uh, I think it is pretty wide open. Obviously, got the Avalanche looking to defend their championship. Dallas Stars have had a very good season, but there's not one clear-cut favorite despite Vegas being the number one seed. All right, uh, a reminder, uh, we have got our podcast back up and running. It's the same very show you're watching here, whether uh, you're watching on TV or online. So another option, if you want to check out NSN Daily, you can download it anywhere uh, you can get your podcast and listen uh, to the show on the go. If you want to drive around your car, if you missed our show, great way to catch up. A lot of great interviews, so we're excited to bring this back. Yeah, I'll be doing some yard work outside, so I'll have the earbuds and listen to the podcast. <laughs> Probably not our podcast, but we'll start putting some other stuff, not just the NSN Daily Podcast. You can get that on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Like you said, you can listen to our stuff. All right, and a reminder, lots of live sports this weekend, starting with the Wolfpack baseball team tonight. See you guys on Monday.